Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a story of a a new young monk in a monastery who was absolutely afraid to preach. But nevertheless, his superior gave him the assignment to preach the very next day. He got up, stood in front of his brother monks, and started out by saying, Brothers, do you know what I am going to say? And they all shook their heads, No. And he said, Neither do I. Let's stand for the benediction. Well, needless to say, this made his superior very angry, and he ordered him to preach again the next day. He started out the same way, asking, Brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? This time they nodded, Yes. And he said, Well, if you already know, there's no need for me to tell you. Let's stand for the benediction. (laughs) Well, by this time, his superior was absolutely furious, and he ordered him to preach the next day or lose his meal privileges for a week. So the next day, he stood up and said, Brothers, do you know what I'm going to say? Well, half shook their head no, the other half shook their head yes, and so he said, well, now, will those of you who do know tell the other half who don't, and let's stand for the benediction. Well, obviously, he failed on his assignment. But do you know that each and every one of us here today has an assignment from God? Now, the title of today's message tells us that you and I were made for mission. Now, the big question is, what is mission? Well, the big answer is, you don't need to wonder, because I'm going to tell you this morning, or at least remind you. Just as Jesus was about to leave this earth, go back to heaven, uh, he left clear instructions for us, and today we're going to examine uh, just one of what's known as five life purposes one of which we're not going to be able to do anymore once we get to heaven. And I want to kind of review some of the purposes that God has left for us. Uh, One of our purposes in life is to bring God pleasure by loving him, and that's called worship. That's what we're doing today. We're gathered in worship. Another one of life's purposes is to be a part of God's family, to be part of a, a fellowship. And fellowship, my silly definition has always been, it's two fellows on the same ship. It's people that are on the same boat going in the same direction for the same reason. So we're in church. We're assuming that we're all on the boat of the church and we're going in the same direction towards heaven for the same purpose. Another one of life's purposes is uh, to become like Christ, to become more and more like Jesus. We talked a little bit about that this morning in adult Bible study, and that's called discipleship. And then there's a fourth one, and that is to serve God by serving other people. Ministry, or as I like to say, ministry is whatever you do for someone else in the name of Jesus. Now, with those kind of in mind, there's one more. It's the one that we're not going to be able to do anymore once we get to heaven. A couple of Bible passages to focus on. John 17, verse 18. Jesus said, in the same way that you gave me, he's talking to his father, in the same way you gave me a mission in this world, I give them, he's talking about you and me, a mission in this world. And then also in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
See, the Father, God the Father, gave his son, Jesus, a mission to complete while he was here in this world. Now that he is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, he's not doing that anymore. He passed it on to us. And that's why we come to our our fifth purpose, uh, is to tell other people, to tell all people who don't yet know who he is, and have not yet joined his team, not joined his fellowship, about the great love of God. And this we call evangelism. Now, like I said before, since there won't be any non-believers in heaven, uh, there's not going to be any need for evangelism once we get there. Now, the word for our assignment, this mission, this evangelism, that's one of the words that have kind of have a negative connotation associated with it. Sometimes when churches talk about how they're going to have an evangelism uh, plan, an evangelism crusade, people begin bailing out by the dozens. I remember a story that was told many years ago by Guido Merkins, who founded uh, Concordia Lutheran Church in San Antonio, Texas, at one time one of the largest churches in our Missouri Synod. And on his very first Sunday there, when the first time they worshipped, they had about 30 people. And he challenged them all to come back in the afternoon to do door-to-door evangelism. He came back that afternoon and he said, not even his wife came back. Everyone stayed home. Now it's kind of interesting because the Greek word that's translated evangelism is oiangelion. And the, the, the root meaning of that word oiangelion literally is just good news. What Jesus wants us to do is go out and tell other people good news. That's all he wants us to share. The good news that God loves everybody. The good news that God is willing to forgive sins, past, present, and future, so that everyone can ultimately, through Jesus Christ, be adopted into his large family. And he actually gave us a plan for that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Another one of these so-called great commissions. After the Holy Spirit comes on you, and, and by the way, when does the Holy Spirit come on you? Well, in the Lutheran tradition, we often talk about it at baptism. If, you're, if you came to Jesus a little bit later in life, you know, we had a few altar calls this last weekend at prison, and people came forward to receive Jesus for the very first time. We believe that was by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes on you, if you are a believer, if you are a Christ follower, the Spirit is in you. And so this verse says what? After this has happened to you, you might be my witness. Is that what it says? No. Occasionally you could if you don't feel too... No. It says you will be. It's an imperative thought in the Greek. You will be my witness. And then he actually tells us where this is going to take place. Jerusalem, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, I used to, I used to breathe a great sigh of relief as a kid. Whenever the pastor would preach on this, i kind of go, Oh, no. We're going to have to be witnesses. <laughs> and then he starts, oh, I'm never going to Jerusalem. I'm never going to go to Judea. I'm never going to Samaria. I'm never going to the ends of the earth. Uh, that's what the pastor's supposed to do. That's what missionaries are called to do. And then lo and behold, one day, I got off an airplane in Johannesburg, South Africa, and the man who welcomed us said, welcome to the ends of the earth. It's a call for all. Now, let me just kind of expand this a little bit. Jesus said to his disciples, you need to start at home. 
Start with those people who are closest to you. People with whom you have something in common. Now, your Jerusalem may be sitting next to you, for all I know. Your Jerusalem may be living in the same house as you. I don't know. But it's somebody who's close to you, somebody you know, somebody you probably have something in common. Maybe they work at the same place, go to the same school, or in the same class, whatever. But then he says, Samaria. These are the people who aren't like you, but are probably around you. And I'm going to add, probably people that you actually go out of your way to avoid. Now, who might those people be? Well, only you know for sure. But I know working in prison ministry for 13 years, that's one group of people that a lot of people avoid. We lock them up, we throw away the key, whatever. People who have uh, HIV, we don't want to deal with those folks. People that are of a different color than you and I, we want to avoid. You know, I don't know what your Samaria is, but I tell you one thing, we all got one. People that are around us that we're not necessarily fond of having to deal with on a regular basis. And then, of course, to the ends of the earth. Well, that just means everybody else. In other words, Jesus did not leave anybody out. Now, let's be honest. Some people are absolutely scared to death of sharing the good news of Jesus Partly because they're afraid they're going to be asked questions that they can't answer. I mean, I've had people over the years like, well, Dr. Kolb, you know, if I start telling people about Jesus, they're going to say, oh, are you the church that baptizes babies? Why? And all I know, my only answer is, humna, 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 humna. <laughs> they don't know. Oh, you're the one that you actually have you, the real body and blood of Jesus? Are you guys cannibals or what? What's going on at your church? They don't know, but they wish they had that number on speed dial. You know, 1-800-CALL-DR-COLB. They wish they had that number on or somebody like that. They're just afraid because they might get asked questions they can't really answer. But you know, it's important for you to understand that God is not asking you to be his defense attorney. He's not asking you to defend him. He can defend himself. He's a big boy. Bigger than you, bigger than anything. God doesn't want you to be a prosecutor either, where you're walking around, you know, holding the gavel in your hand, judging people by their actions. And he's not looking for somebody who's going to be a salesperson. He doesn't want us to try and sell him to anybody. See, being a witness, oyongalian, is telling people what you have experienced. Not what the pastor experienced, not what your wife or husband experienced, not what the lady down the block experienced, not to the lady who went off to a conference one place and came back glowing, huh, Margaret? Not her experience, your experience. Now, I know this and this much, that if you were a witness to some accident, crime, or whatever, the police just want you to tell them what you saw. As Sergeant Joe Friday used to say, just the facts, ma'am. They don't want you trying to convict the person you thought was at fault. They don't want you trying to defend the person you think was innocent. They don't want you to try to convince, uh, to try and convince them that what you're saying is absolute truth. They just want to know what did you see, what did 
you experience. And see, that's all God really wants us to do when we witness about it. Just tell people about the wonderful way God has made a difference in your life. I mean, your experiences don't need to be defended. I mean, how can anybody challenge your experience? It's your experience. People want to know how God makes a difference in your life. Actually, they want to know why God makes a difference, period. Now, you may wonder why we would do this. I'm going to take you back to that second purpose I had on the screen before. It was to be a part of the family and then do all you can to build God's family, to invite other people to be part of God's family. See, the mission that God is asking us to accept is not mission impossible, it's mission inevitable. Now, there's a story told, uh, it's not a true story, obviously, but God was talking to an angel one day in heaven. And he tells him how he gave the human beings the good news to share with each other so that more and more people would become a part of his family. And the angel says, uh, ask God, what plan B was in case the humans don't actually share the good news? And God's answer was, there is no plan B. Guess what? There is no plan B. If we don't do it, God does not have plan B sitting out there somewhere. Friends, if God has placed that much trust in us to fulfill his mission, how on earth can we possibly complete it? Well, I'm going to just share three things for us to keep in mind. One of them is we must share with those in our world. Uh, In Luke chapter 8, you read this story some other time. It's about a man who was healed by Jesus. Actually, this man was demon-possessed. And when Jesus cast the demons out of him, this man wanted to keep following Jesus wherever he went. But Jesus turned around in verse 39 and spoke to him very directly. He said, no, you can't go with me. Go back home and tell people how much God has done for you. I bet he did. I bet he went back and he walked all the town telling uh, about what Jesus had done for him. The physical healing, the demonic deliverance, and most of all, he talked about Jesus the healer. Or maybe you remember the woman at the well. She said, she went back in the town and said, I just met a man who told me everything about myself. She told everybody. Now, that's all we need to do. Now, you might say, well, I've never been demon-possessed or had a demon removed. I've never had some magic healing. But, friends, God has done so much for you anyway. I mean, how about the wisdom that God gave you to know what to do in a difficult situation? How about the peace that you've experienced that comes after praying during hard times? How about the joy that comes from knowing that God loves you and is with you every moment of the day. Those are the kinds of things that we can share with other people. I don't have to have my theology screwed on straight. All I can say, friend, all I can tell you is that ever since Jesus was in my life, I'm just as happy as a clam at high tide. That's all I know. I'm just happy. That's my story. I can tell people that. Now, there are things that we can share with anybody. So, again, the question is, why don't we do it? Well, some people, because they don't think they have the answers. But I think one reason is that we think people aren't really interested in knowing. 
that they're not interested in spiritual things. And I'll tell you, that is bogus. I mean, that's a myth. Uh, Gallup just did a poll and found out that something like 85 million people in the United States have no church home whatsoever. But out of those 85 million, almost 40 million would actually come to church if somebody would just ask them to come. Now, when we do church consultation work, we ask the congregation these questions. Have you ever told anybody about your church? Now, virtually everybody says yes. We've told people about our church. Okay. Have you ever actually invited somebody to your church? Guess what? The number drops. And then we ask the third question. How many of you have you ever actually gone and picked them up and brought them to church? And the number drops even one more time. I've tried this a few times. It's like asking somebody if they be thinking about coming to church. And they say, well, I think about it. And I, and I said, what time can I pick you up at your house tomorrow? See, there's cutting right to the chase. You'd be surprised if that might not work. I frequent a Starbucks relatively close to me, and I, uh, I've kind of developed a relationship with one gal who seems to wait on me all the time. And I finally told her about a church. I asked her if she went to church. And uh, she says, no, she doesn't have a church. I said, well, there, there's a church that's not very far from here. It's, it's a church where my son and his wife go, and it's a, it's a place where I go sometimes on Saturday nights when we're in town. You ought to come there. And guess what? She was there last night again. She's been there. Somebody just invited her. That's all it takes. They also found out that teenagers, who are weird to begin with, uh, that teenagers are by and large far more interested in talking about spiritual things than they are about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Far away. Now, what I think people don't want to talk about is another list of rules and regulations that are going to make them give up some. Oh, if I come to your church, what I need to give up? See, our good news is not the law. Our good news is a relationship. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have. We often, when we ordain a pastor or install a pastor, pastors come up and lay hands on you, you often hear that passage at an ordination or an installation. But that's really for all of you. It just says, Be prepared in and out of season to give the reason why you have so much hope. And now what do you do? You have an opportunity to tell them your story. You don't have to be able to quote anything from the Augsburg Confession. You don't even need to know the confessions. You don't need to recite something from Martin Luther. You don't even need to know a Bible passage off the top of your head. All you can do is say, I tell you, ever since Jesus entered my life, I am so full of hope. Sure, I get down from time to time, but, you know, there's a hymn we sang in church not long ago that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's all I know, and I'm happy. I'm happy. Is that that hard to do? Not if you get your mouth open. Pretty easy to do. I think the second or third reason maybe why people don't share the good news is because they don't know how. They're just not quite sure how to do it. I'm going to share something real quickly. I teach this sometimes down in prison. I'm just talking about a bass. Now, this has nothing to do with the song. It's all about that bass. This is, this is a different kind of bass. It's kind of an acronym that helps you remember what to base your life on. You know, the B is believe that God made us to love us and to love him back. 
And the A is to admit that I've been living for myself. And S, switch to living for God and his purposes. And E, to express a desire for Jesus to be Lord and leader of my life. And so if I very simply told, if somebody said, you know, are you a Christian? And you go, uh, yeah. Uh, why? Well, you have the opportunity to say what Jesus means to you. Again, you don't need to quote scripture to them. You don't, and it'll help as you grow a little bit more mature. But you tell them about you. And then what you can do is you can share that base. You know, if you'd like to have the same hope, if you'd like to have the same joy in your life, you just got to believe that God made you so that he could love you and you could love him back. And you just admit that maybe up to this point you've been living for yourself. And you just need to switch from the life you've been living to the life of serving this Jesus who loves you so much. And just express a desire for Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Now, we all agree that we haven't been totally set free from sin while we're still living. We have not been set free from our mission either to share the good news with other people. That's why God leaves us here. And, you know, you can witness to your faith from little on to the last day of your life. See, when we get to heaven, our mission will be done. But guess what? If you're still breathing this morning, everybody's still breathing? If you're still breathing, your mission is not yet finished. Second uh, Peter 3, 9 says, God does not want anyone to be lost. Now, how much is included in the word anyone? Anyone, everybody. But he wants all people. How much is included in all? Uh, all. I mean, I've looked up that word all in the Greek. It means all. It, it, to change their hearts and lives. If there's, if, and if there's one person left in this world, if there's one person left in this world who still has some sort of a stony heart of rebellion, guess what? Our mission is not yet over. Now, we have to care simply because God cares. I heard the pastor of one of the largest churches in America, Bill Hybels, Willow Creek Church up in Barrington, Illinois, say that one time. He said, whatever matters to God better matter to us. Now, sometimes people ask me, have you ever heard God speak? Well, sure I do. Right here. If you read your Bible, he speaks to you. If you pray and if you stop long enough and don't just have those one-sided prayers where you do all the yapping, you might actually hear him. But I don't have to tell you that there have been a few times in my life I'm pretty sure I actually heard him say something to me out loud. And one of them was, Barry, I care about a whole lot more people than you do. Maybe you should think about it. And it wasn't quite like, I didn't see a burning bush. I didn't see a glowing angel. It was just, what? And I don't know where it came from. I don't know whether it's audible, but I heard it in here. So what matters to God is not our bank account. God does not care whether you drive a red Kia Soul or whether you're driving a Mercedes Benz or whether you're driving a Dodge Ram pickup or a Ferrari or whatever you're driving. He doesn't care what kind of house you live in. He doesn't care whether it's a trailer house. He doesn't care whether it's a jail cell. He doesn't care whether you're on death row at the largest maximum security prison in America. It doesn't make any difference. What matters are people, especially those who are far, far away from him. 
Now, when you were young, when I was young, guess what? It was all about you, wasn't it? Some people wonder how babies can sit. And babies are the most selfish little creeps on the face of this earth. <laughs> give me, give me, give me, all the time. It was all about you. But from a, from a point of relationship to Jesus, guess what? When you were young, it was all about you and people helping bring you to know God. Your parents who brought you to the services at God's house. Your parents who placed the scriptures in your hand. Parents who brought you to the waters of baptism. But now that you're in the family, guess what? It isn't about you anymore. Maybe that surprises some of you. It's not about you anymore. It's about people who still aren't here in this family. Now, you and I, at one point, were those people who were lost in the storms of life. God sent out his rescue team in terms of parents and friends and Sunday school teachers and whatever. But once you were found, you know, at once I was lost, but now I'm found. Isn't that an amazing grace somewhere? They don't keep focusing on you. They keep on looking for other people who are lost. In fact, I, I sometimes think it's time we quit trying to get the rescue team's attention all the time and, and let them get on with their work. You know, get out of their way and let them do it. But better yet, join them. Go out there and rescue as well. The second thing is to keep in mind that we need to dare to reach beyond our world. See, love demands that I get beyond my comfort zone. Fifty men came from across the United States and Canada to Angola Prison in Angola, Louisiana last week. And the majority of them had never, ever been in a jail or prison before in their life. And weren't even sure why they were there. But somehow they sensed God's call to be there. A lot of them said, this is way outside my comfort zone. Well, guess what? Rescue teams do not just make a camp and sit around the fire and drink hot chocolate waiting for lost people to stumble into the camp. They go out into uncharted areas and they begin looking. They don't walk through the forest quietly. They're out there shouting, are you there? Are you there? Is anybody out there? I mean, if you and I had the cure for AIDS or if you and I had the cure for cancer, I bet we'd be talking as loud as we could to as many people as we could so other people could actually have that cure, too. Now, I don't have a cure for either of those, but I got something even better. And so do you, if you are actually a Christ follower. You have the path that leads to eternal life. Now, which do you think would be more important to shout about if you're walking through life? See, we're called to build bridges between people by finding the things we have in common with them. I mean, the young girl that showed up in church last night, the only thing we have in common is a grande soy latte, no whip. That's about as much as we have in common. Other than the fact that I saw that she had a Bible that she hadn't really been reading sitting on the table where she was the first time I ever saw her. That's about as much as we have in common. I know her first name. That's it. She doesn't even know my first name. She just knows me as Grande Soy Mocha No Whip. But that's a little bridge. That was a little connection. That's all it was. You know, we aren't supposed to be building walls. We're supposed to be building bridges. And because we have the mission, God expects us to make the first move towards other people. I mean, we do that by being friendly and open to everybody around us. I mean, I know some churches who actually believe that if you build it, they'll come. No, they won't. 
you got to go get them. Galatians 6, 2 says, Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed, share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. Now, what is Christ's law? It's to love your neighbor as yourself. You remember who Jesus hung out with all the time? He didn't hang out with religious people. He didn't hang out with his family all the time. It wasn't only with those who made him feel good. He hung out with sinners, tax collectors, and prostitutes. It was with the people that society said were too low to matter. See, Jesus stooped down and he walked with them so he could tell them about God's love. And that's why, you know, churches that have some, some ministries, and there's plenty of ministries, you know, they're opportunities to reach out and touch somebody else and perhaps build a bridge so that Jesus can ultimately walk over it. Now, one day God's going to take an audit of our life. He's going to be looking to see if we have lived our lives of love or if we have just been good talkers. See, it isn't about what we say, it's about what we do. Our actions are proof of our love. Now, Paul said at one time, real real religion, real religion is this. The kind that passes muster before God the Father, reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight. And to do this, sometimes we've got to sacrifice a little bit. Mark 10, 29 tells us, Jesus replied, let me assure you that no one has ever given up anything for love for me and tell the others the good news that won't be given back a hundred times over. Now, what might you be asked to give up? You know, I know for about 40 or 50 guys sleeping in a single cell on death row this last week, that's a little bit different than sleeping in your nice comfy bed at home. Sometimes it's our time, sometimes it's our family, sometimes security, even sometimes our life. I mean, there are Christians all over this world who are in danger of losing their lives each and every day because they dare share the good news of Jesus. I don't know that there's anything in our lives here in America that comes anywhere close to that. But we can give up things in this world that will be given back to us. Jesus said he can get it back a hundred times over. Now, I don't know about you, but if I found a place that I could put my retirement money that made 10,000%, I'd invest. I'd take every dime I had put it in there. Now, I don't know about you, but that's what I would do. See, the return doesn't, normal, doesn't necessarily come in this life. Your reward can be found in heaven. But wouldn't you like to have that kind of investment? Here's the last thing. We need to care about the whole world. Jesus said, go everywhere in the world, tell the good news to everyone. Now, this was not just this was a suggestion for anyone who's a follower. This challenges us to rise to a whole new level of spiritual maturity. We have to decide whether we are going to be followers of Jesus or whether we're merely observers. See, observers can leave whenever they feel like it. If they get bored following, they just walk out the front door of the church and go someplace else. But followers actually do what Jesus does. Jesus went fishing for new family members, and if we aren't fishing, guess what? We aren't following. We're merely observers. story about a dad who took his three boys to Six Flags over Texas. The dad would walk with the kids, and when they got to a ride, he would hand out a ticket to his son and his three friends. They'd go to another ride, he'd hand out four more tickets. They did that all morning. Well, when they ate lunch... They went to the next ride, and suddenly there were five hands reaching out for a ticket. It was a grubby, dirty dirty little snot-nosed kid. Dad looked at the little boy and said, 
Why do you think you should get a ticket? Little boy said, your son said that you were giving free tickets to all of his best friends, and I'm his newest, bestest friend. (laughs) Now, I'm not the dad. Our Heavenly Father is the dad. I'm just the son who's inviting people to become my new best friend and to know the bestest friend you'll ever know in this world and next. Matthew 16, 25 says, if you insist on saving your life, you're going to lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. So I'd ask you this morning, friends, are you really living? Are you really living? Is what you have been living for as meaningful as finding new eternal brothers and sisters? Is there anything else you have or do that's more important than someone's place in eternity? See, our purpose is to share the good news. With everyone who doesn't know it. And we begin with our immediate family and friends and look to those who maybe not like us and everybody else. I always love this Bible passage. You know, this could be on everybody's tombstone. David served God's purpose in his own time. Wouldn't it be be great if you put that on your tombstone someday with your name? Quentin Bessett. Quentin served God's purpose in his time. Dr. Cole served God's purpose in his time. Did what God called him to do or be. That's what I would pray for all of us, that we might serve God's purpose in the time he's given us here on this earth. You know, there's always responses to a sermon. I always say everybody eats the same thing Sunday, roast pastor. <laughs> but, you know, there, there always, there's always responses to every sermon. We could all respond like Moses and say, who, me? Or we could respond like Jonah and say, hmm, not me. Or we could respond like Habakkuk and say, why me? Or we could respond like Isaiah who said, here I am, send me. This is my prayer for all of us today. Psalm 67, 2, we end with this. Father, send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all humanity. In Jesus' name, amen.